can't rock to I've been back there and I cannot got to But I got to It is December 20th, 2019, and Timothy, this top 50 has really flew by, but here we are at part three. I'm not as fatigued as I, as I usually am by the time we get to the end of this thing. I'm usually tired, wishing for death, wondering why I do this stupid thing every year, but Timothy, this thing has kind of gone by way faster than I think either of us have anticipated, or at least it feels that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first two parts were two and a half hours each, which is not sh- short or uh, you know i think the second part was maybe like 210 215 the first one was definitely like two and a half so not short but definitely felt like it went by quick and then i honestly think that the top 10 is going to be i don't know i i bet i would think you would agree with this it's going to be a lot of crossover so i honestly think the top 10 is going to be we're not going to be talking about a lot of guys because i think me and you are going to have a lot of the same people here um just no yeah for sure just based on who you haven't said yet and who i haven't said yet it feels like yeah like that's all that we have left is a lot of the same people all right so without any further ado are you ready to get to the top 10 let's do it all right i'll kick it i'll kick us off for for this installment my number 10 is kanesuke takashita who you said earlier in the series yeah number 14 so just a little bit ago but on the previous episode all right so takashita probably the most versatile versatile wrestler in Japan going today from tags, trios, singles, working as heel, working as a baby face, being in control, selling a limb, doing long, more slow building epic main events, doing sprints, doing comedy even. There's a valid argument for Takashita maybe being the most versatile wrestler in the world. And this isn't new. I think me and you have been, have been pounding on that drum since 2017 with Takashita that he's been one of those tippy top elite guys on a on a on a consistent basis. But I think for me now, maybe that's something that was missing for him for him in other years. I think he's having like the like the like match of the year level stuff. Whereas where like in 2017 he has that speedball match in Shinjuku face that man you both love, but it wasn't match of the year level or anything. But the Sakashita versus Tetsuya Endo match from Peter Pan is damn near match damn near match of the year level for me. It might be like top ten, top fifteen for me by the time the, by the time the year is said and done. Uh, the Sasaki Takashita match from the DDT New York show 
is certainly up there for me as far as match as far as match of the year talk. And we talked about we talked about it earlier. We're talking about Hiroshima, that the Hiroshima Takashita match didn't hit us for, didn't hit us as hard as 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 much as it hit some of our friends. But that's still a really awesome match that is probably going to make my top 100 for the year. So Takashita has the big singles matches that are going to be all over my match of the year tracker. The stuff of Michael Satomura and and the, and the Sendai Girls crew that we talked about, the strong the strong hearts tags that we got, and all the other various all out versus versus Disaster Box and Damnation and stuff that we got to the Takashita versus Shinya Aoki match, Takashita versus Chris Brooks from from Korokin, and the, and even the Takashita match we've got that, it's Takashita stuff that we've gotten from D King most notably being the KSK Ishii match. He's had a strong year. Probably the probably the most versatile wrestler in Japan, and even probably is maybe underselling it. He almost almost definitely is. So Takashita continues to get better and continues to impress me with everything that he offers as far as being a wrestler. And I I just can't imagine what else you want him to be at this point. He he gives you everything. He doesn't give you a bad match. He set he sell he sells everything. He controls. He has personality. He He's everything that that I think you like, like on on paper that I think someone would want from a wrestler, and whether or not that hits for you the same way that might that might hit for me, I don't. I just can't. I just can't imagine looking at Kanosuke Takashita and not appreciating the kind of stuff that he gives you night in and night out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you hit at everything. Talked about it a lot with uh, with Tony Deppin being versatile, and and Tony Deppin's versatile in a different way, and the in the kind of the the quality of his opponents and the settings that he shows up in. But Takashita, the same thing, just in in the delivery and what he's doing, and and the presentation of the matches, like you're talking about, it's a little bit kind of different form of versatility because everything's in DDT, and the quality of the opponents is pretty consistent. He is primarily at the top of the card, so he primarily is is facing you know the higher end higher caliber opponents but at the same time he does kind of mix it up with different people the aoki matches um the uh you know kind of went in the d king in the tournaments in general this year as he was also uh part of the um the uh what's what is the other one the king of ddt yeah the king of ddt tournament this year winning that this year um so like you know he was he was a big part of tournaments so that means wrestling a, a little bit more varied opponents than you're necessarily completely used to but ddt they do a pretty good job of, of everything across the board all the all, everyone kind of mixing it up a little bit match with mako satamoro we mentioned when talking about mako um obviously phenomenal stuff there so yeah when you talk about he's got the match of the year level stuff this year a little bit more than maybe he has in the past i think that's for sure the harassment match i think me and you both say like not match of the year but that's also just like kind of like because we have stuff that we like so much more it wouldn't be a match that i would necessarily shit on in another year like in another year i could end up seeing that being a match of the year contender match of the year level match for me um it just there was other stuff for me specifically i think i've talked about it already on podcast people kind of know where i'm at right now with my match of the year and i knew at the instant that, that i was done watching the match so and i think i watched the the that that match after maybe before um and, and really, we haven't we haven't talked about it much as much on the podcast after we did that first initial sort of review of, of the first few nights. But he's had, Takashita really became like clearly became the best guy in D King, going from Ueno, Endo, Chihiro, and Chris Brooks in all those ma- in all those matches in a row being really good. Yeah, yeah, and, and 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 I mean that's like he was really good in the first D King as well. Um, 
but he was doing kind of the same thing, having a lot of different opponents throughout the time. Like he's a good long-term kind of working in the tournaments guy, and especially in the, the round Robin tournaments kind of um, competitor here, which works for your ACE. You want someone who can do that, can work the varied styles, can mix it up at least in DDT. That's what you want for their, for their top guy. So yeah, everything you said there, he's just continuing to come into his own. I could see for me probably next year ending up in the top 10 for you. Obviously he already ended up in the top 10 this year. So, so yeah, I mean, he's, He's honestly, it's crazy that having already had such a long run as the top guy in DDT, he still feels like he's getting better and hasn't really hit his peak yet. He's only he's only twenty four. I know. Like, I know. Like only he's only twenty four, and he's very arguably been a been a top ten wrestler in the world for three years in a row now. Yeah. So pretty nuts. Pretty nuts. So my number ten. You're asking me when I uh, I can't remember who it was with the Naito about the, what level he was as a New Japan guy. This is one of the guys I was like, oh, I guess. I guess you could kind of count him as a New Japan guy. Uh, you know, he really didn't spend the whole year there and didn't really spend the entire time there. Um, really broke out this year. Uh, kind of mixing things up. Bad boy. Uh, kind of uh, hitting, uh, you know, the new stride. Shows up in in New Japan and then instantly thrown into a big tournament really kind of makes his name there and becomes one of the best in the world uh, throughout, like, kind of showing off what he can do in New Japan. My number 10 is El Phantasmo. Um, so, uh, so yeah. <laughs> fucking I mean, shit. just becoming... I'm fucking around. All that stuff that I was just saying, I was talking about Moxley. Um, <laughs> Dude, you sold that so well. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? What I said was, is kind of true about both people, except for El Phantasmo isn't that good. He is a good heel, though. I'm not going to argue that he's not a good heel. Like for oh, character, he, I, mean, work. I mean, like, oh yeah, he's a character work. He definitely is, but he still doesn't know how to how to actually wrestle like yeah, a heel yet. Yeah. Which you know, well, if he ever gets a hold of that, he'll probably be all right. Yeah, he could get good someday. But uh, but yeah, no Moxley. I I, I Moxley at fourteen. Yeah, and we, and you talked about Moxley when at there because I fucked up and said that uh, that I didn't have him because I'm an idiot. But uh, you know. Great year, especially the G1. He was amazing. Throughout the G1, it was, like, questionable. Like, is this guy going to end up being the best wrestler on the planet? Um, like, in 2019, is he just going to fucking kill it? Unfortunately, like I mentioned at the time, he, he had that snag where he had the elbow injury. Um, so like I think he had, like, uh, infection, not even an injury. He got, like, uh, what the fuck? He staph- got, like, a, got, like, got, like, a staph infection in his elbow. Yeah, and so that really fucked up his momentum because at the time it was, like, if he had kept that up without even that, I think it could have ended up with him even higher this year, honestly. Um, but, yeah, great throughout the G1. You talked about it. Really good. Did you see the 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 killer cross match in a, in a fighting spirit? Yeah. Or Future Stars yeah, of Wrestling? Yeah, I to see that. Yeah, they get to see that. Yeah, that was really good, and then everything he's done so far in uh, in AEW has been phenomenal. He's just really, uh, really came into his own after leaving WWE, and he's a big time star now. It's it, it's me. I've always liked Moxley, and you've always liked Moxley, but if we're if like if we're like honest, like his in ring work was always sort of like the. Like, like, it always looked like the back seat to what John Moxley offered, even going back to like you know 2010 and all that stuff. And he started like starting like really coming to his own in very in very in various places. It's always like the promo work and like the potential there. And he was a good wrestler. Like him, like 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 like, like the matches with Aries, the stuff that he does get to do with Danielson and all that stuff. He is a very capable wrestler. But in WWE in in event in eventually like during like the end of his WWE run. While he does show flashes of being great in the ring, it's always driven by this huge over and personality. And more than and more now than ever, I think people are appreciating the fact that John Moxley is a very good wrestler. 
and always, has always always had the potential to be that. You gotta remember that when he signed the WWE, he was like 22, 23 years old. So dude was still dude was still a baby trying to figure out everything everything in wrestling. And I think because WWE didn't push him the way it, the way it was the way it was warranted, we sort of we saw him given eventually half-ass performances because he was a guy that worked hard for a lot of years, but eventually giving half-ass performances. So people sort of started to underrate how good he actually was and people started to focus on his lowlights like his suicide dive not looking great or him not throwing great strikes and now coming out coming out of WWE feeling completely rejuvenated feeling motivated and refreshed I think now more than ever people are appreciating his in-ring because shit what, like when was the last time people were like oh man that Dean, that Dean Ambrose match was really good I think routinely his matches were getting underrated by people and now and now being out being out of WWE from the J from the Jay White and Shingo matches that me and you both that me and you both really liked. The Ishii match that people went crazy for. The Darby Allen match that people loved. Even the Kenny Omega match while Device of people all people loved it. Now more than ever people are appreciating John Moxley in the ring. And it's like, well like for me it's like finally and I can admit that he's gotten better, but he's a guy that I think needed that fresh coat of paint for people really to really accept him and embrace him for how talented he is. Yeah, definitely. And it's 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 definitely made a big difference just for people getting to see kind of yeah like his quality in ring as well. All right, so from this from this point on, I think it's all crossover at this point. Only per, only I only know one person that you have ahead of me that I that I list that I listed on the last episode. So I'll go. My number nine is Daniel Makabe. Uh, I've got him higher. Okay. Uh, my number nine is Jay White. And I have Jay White higher. Yeah, I assumed as much. Okay, I want. I'm really curious to see if we get one more rematch. <laughs> so my num- So my number. Nine, my number eight is Pac. Uh, I have Pack higher. Damn. Okay. I was. I was hoping maybe that one. Yeah, that's close. But uh, actually, no. That's, I mean, it, it is close because they're both in the top ten. But. Um. All right, so where am I at? My number... Your eight. My eight is uh, Shingo Takagi. Yeah, and I have Shingo at 11. Oh, you did? Yeah, uh, I Shingo at 11. Okay, I did not... I, for some reason, I thought that you hadn't said Shingo yet. Um, so, yeah, obviously... Se- I mean, similarly to both the guys I was just talking about, joking around about ELP, but Mox, like, showing up in New Japan and just fucking being a monster um in in general but especially in uh in the g1 this or in the best of the super juniors this year and then the g1 um which is like a big you know case for um for osprey as well which we both haven't said yet wink wink you know um i think everybody knows he's coming up on our lists uh in that like you know in new japan a lot of the the hindrance for people for getting high up the list like this is uh, that they don't get to have a lot of great singles performances. But if you get to be in both of the round-robin tournaments, the junior and the heavyweight, you're going to get a ton of great performances. And Shingo, I mean, fuck. Like, he was... I I, I think you could argue he was the MVP, if not the number one, the number two MVP of both tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> like, really, like, super valid statement if you're like, yeah, Shingo was the MVP of both best of super juniors. And the G1, 
Indy also has like the top three New Japan matches of the year. Like if someone said that, I don't, I wouldn't argue any of that. No, uh, I, I totally get it, you know, and then I haven't watched any of it, but I got to imagine that he's been good in the tag league, like, you know, cause he's just, he's fucking amazing. Like he, he goes out there and kills it. And I will admit that like towards kind of the end of his run in Dragon Gate, I was like, ah, fuck, like this is it. We're not going to. We're never going to get much more out of Shingo. He's been so good for so long, but this is it. And he showed up in New Japan and feels like a totally new wrestler, honestly. Like, a very slight coat of paint at 36 years old, 37 years old. He feels like he's got a brand new career that could go for who knows how much longer. Um, it's fucking insane to see him just, like I said, it's not even much of a reinvention, just a very slight reinvention and being in a new place. But like, yeah, it's, it's crazy how good he is right now. And it, all it took was just showing up somewhere new, being fresh after I was, I was, I, I was, I wasn't saying I thought he was bad, but I was like, oh, this is it. Like he's, it, he, he reaches, he reached his ceiling in Dragon. He reached his peak, his pinnacle. He's, there's never going to really do much more with him. He, there's nothing that's going to be that exciting or interesting for him to do ever again like that was just gonna be it and it's like okay cool like this that was really good but but no what the fuck yeah like yeah could be i mean would be the best wrestler in new japan just purely in new japan probably i think um yeah i mean for me i would say yes if you're counting only new japan because he only wrestles in new japan really like he's he's the best wrestler in new japan um, but I have one guy who makes a big part of their case in New Japan above him. So, um, but that's because he's got stuff outside of New Japan as well. So, you know, there's that. For for as much as I love Dragon Gate, you have to be honest and admit that because of Dragon Gate being so insular and the roster being so small, even if it's made up of some of the best rosters in the world, it's easy to get tired of it eventually you just see everything over and over and over again so for someone that's been in drag that was in dragon gate for as long as shingo was eventually it was gonna get tiring and some people are fine with that and some people are probably fine just eventually ending their careers like that and i think but i think shingo still realized how much he had left in the tank and how much he still could accomplish so when he leaves dragon gate i saw a lot of people talking about why did, why doesn't he go like freelance and do stuff like do stuff like Big Japan or All Japan? And look, I I enjoyed Shingo in the Champions Carnival when we got him. I enjoy I enjoyed the I enjoyed the Kento match, the Shujishi the Shujishikawa match, all that stuff. I enjoyed getting the, getting to see Shingo in fresher settings. But if we're honest with that too, there isn't a lot there that probably that, that probably would have gotten old. I mean, eventually Kai, eventually Kai. Uh, signed the signed the Dragon Gate, so he's a guy that would have been gone. But maybe like Shingo, Shingo versus Suwama, Shingo versus Kento, Shingo versus Yuji, Shingo versus Sakimoto, Shingo versus Ishikawa. I mean, like all all that all that stuff we would have got, we would have gotten Shingo versus Okabayashi, maybe Shingo versus Sato, Shingo versus Takuya Nomura. And honestly, I don't, I don't know. I know a lot of people were disappointed that Shingo wound up going to New Japan especially at the time when he was getting brought in as a junior, but that actually turned wound up being the best possible thing for Shingo to do just because, just because in this particular year, he got to mix it up with everybody. 
You got to Mex- you got the you got to wrestle with the best of the juniors. So he's getting he's getting your Will Ospreys, your Dragon Lees, your Show Tanakas, and and all and all that stuff, and getting to getting to wrestle those people, and even have sleeper matches that people didn't expect to be so good, like Yoshinobu Kanemaru. So you're wrestling the best that the junior division has to offer, and then you're getting to go and wrestle the best the heavyweight division has to offer, and keeping up with them like usually like you should, you like you should have always been here. And I get it, New Japan isn't the most interesting company in the world. But I do think for this particular year, this could have this couldn't have gone any better for Shingo, and I just can't imagine what his year would have looked like. Him going freelance and doing like Big Japan or in All Japan, maybe doing some DDT shots. For some people, that probably sounds more interesting, but I just can't imagine it would have had the same impact that him in New Japan did, because realistically, he might wind up being the new Ishii there, because Ishii Ishii is getting older. Ishii is still a very good wrestler, but he's not going to be around forever. Shingo is still only 35, 36 years old, and Shingo is looking just as good as he's ever looked. And Shingo being an outsider, not being a true a true a true New Japan guy, I could easily be Shingo being the next Ishii for the, you know, for the next, you know, 4 or 5 years. The guy that routinely is the best guy in the G1. The people the people that like follow the observer are just going goo goo gaga over him because of how good he is and how hard-hitting he is. And I think that is the is the best possible outcome for Shingo, because what go to New, go to go to all Japan and he's maybe a Kento challenger in June and Ken, and Kento beats him. Go to DDT and do and do a couple of matches with Kanosuke Takashita and Hiroshima, but he's not going to be the top guy there. Big Japan, maybe, but again, like you, you're always going to have your top of the card guys there and their homegrown guys. I think right now when New Japan is was probably the best scenario that we could have gotten for Shingo Takagi. Yeah, that's probably true. I don't think there's any other place where there would be a really fitting role for him. Like you're kind of laying out there. Uh, and New Japan has the ability to have a mid-card workhorse just because of the way that their cards and, and roster is set up in a way that other places don't. Where it can be a really fulfilling thing. You can have a ton of really great high profile matches throughout the years still and never really be like in the top level, top mix of guys. You don't end up just in a lot of other places. You end up exactly like you're saying, just on the treadmill. And he wasn't going to as much as he could easily be the top guy, I think for any promotion in Japan without question. Um, he's already proven that in, in, in new Japan, when they looked at the numbers for, for uh, like for drawing, when he was added to the, like, the shows they were there was proof that i was hearing from people showing that like he was increasing numbers i mean new japan overall is doing better but the shows that he was on in featured matches are drawing even better so he could be a top guy i think in any company but the way that japanese promotions work he just wouldn't be he's not going to be pushed over kento like you just mentioned if he goes to all japan it's just not going to happen even if he deserves it he's not, he, yeah he's not getting pushed over takashida he's not getting pushed over endo yeah. Hiroshima is still the guy there daisuke sasaki he's still he's still always looming around and and then what big japan and then big japan is always constantly going back to you know sekimoto or okabayashi even sato just recently winning the belt so what would have even been his ceiling in, in Big Japan there? It's it's hard. And I know that Big Japan, I mean, that New Japan isn't just the, mo- isn't the most exciting place for people to imagine the big free agents going. But a lot of places just don't have the capability to keep having these guys continuously on the roster because they have their plans set with already with their stars. And then 
someone being like a mid like a mid card guy or even a guy like Monster of the Month challenger. I'm not sure how how long Shingo could have done that. Yeah, like what go to go to Noah and do what face Nakajima, Sagira, and Goshi Ozaki in and then what? Like <laughs> yeah. No, that's it. I mean, New Japan is the place where at least he'll be kept somewhat fresh. He'll be able to have interesting, exciting matches from time to time. Um, and he can be a mid-card workhorse of the company for a few years and continue to have to have interesting stuff from time to time and be heated up. And you could have him challenge every now and then for all the different titles. And he can even have token title runs, all the different titles. I mean, yeah, I mean, Ishii, Goto even is like a really good comparison for what he can be like in those in those levels, which is a good place to be, you know, like, sure, me and you, I think we both agree. Could Shingo be the best wrestler in the company? I think so. Could he be the top guy in the company? Definitely. He's shown that he's got the personality and he draws. It's not even just a, you know, we're we're wrestling marks and we love that he hits hard. It's like he's actually a star. But it's just not going to happen. And Dragon Gate, he would have continued to have, you know, Dreamgate title runs and been a featured act. But he was stale. It was getting stale. There's nothing that you could say that, like, I don't think that anyone could argue that it wasn't. It was stale. Him and Dragon Gate was just going to be the same stuff over and over again. And it wasn't going to matter. And sure, he'd be treated like a top guy. But would you really be that excited about it? Now, New Japan, like I said, breath of fresh air, brand new career, it almost feels like, and and super exciting and hot. And we'll probably continue to be that way for at least another you know year, year and a half, maybe, of actually being excited as long as they just keep basically doing what they're doing with them right now. All right, now was your number eight? Yeah, that was my number eight. Okay. I'm still, still waiting to see if we strike a match here. My number seven is Jonathan Gresham. No, I have Gresham a little bit higher. My seven. All right. I'm gonna feel like you have to have a little bit higher in in Will Osprey. Yeah, a little bit higher too. Okay. Okay. Number six, Timothy Thatcher. Got him a little bit higher. My number six. All right. My number six. You already said uh, Daniel Makabe. All right, let's talk about Dan. A little bit of a drop from last year, unfortunately. You know, you can't be the best wrestler in the world every year. You're not. He's not Zack Saber Jr. Um, but still phenomenal work across the board. One of the biggest kind of examples of a guy who singular performance outweighs great matches. But this year, I think, was one of the few times where he actually had some great matches, like some some match of the year level matches um as opposed to in past years unfortunately and last year even i mean i don't know that you could necessarily argue that last year he really had anything that was a match of the year level match um just again phenomenal in all of his own personal performances um so it was kind of part of him getting out a little bit more wrestling not just in three to one battle and then at the same time like he got kind of down downgraded in three to one battle a little bit he wasn't the focus he wasn't getting the same level of competition he wasn't getting to really have great great matches that felt like those amazing dan Makabe performances i mean you know he had the match with scott in the beginning of the year him and, and scott henson it was good he's in the the battle royal it's fine he's wrestling eddie van glam in like a surprisingly good match and then finally, the match with uh, Alan Jepsen, Uncle Muscle, was the first match where I was like, okay, this is the you know the great Dan performance in 3-2-1 battle. But that was, I mean, you're already into March. Usually before it was every match, he'd be knocking it out of the park instantly um, in 3-2-1 battle. This year, unfortunately, he just didn't have the same opportunities there. But 
he was getting stuff like the you know the backyarder six way scramble in in freelance. He's getting the the black label pro match with Rory Gulak that's phenomenal. He's the match in in uh, without a without ah a cause with Hammerstone. Um, you know, just uh, the match with Zach Cooper and without a cause, the first one. Then it's the you know pizza party match with Fred Yehi. I think I've heard I heard people at the time saying match of the year. Still hear people bringing it up, possible match of the year. I don't. I think it's been eclipsed probably by a lot of stuff. But at the time, I mean, phenomenal match and in the conversation for match of the year still. You know, he wrestles the ISW show the same weekend, all WrestleMania weekend. Um, so yeah, I mean. Tons of stuff now outside of of ECC or outside of three to one battle, but he's got the John Grisham match in three to one battle. That's I mean th- that could be a match of the year level match I think for a lot of people. It is for me the Thatcher match in three to one battle this year match of the you know match of the year level match. Just just recently his last match in three to one battle with um with Elliot Taylor was fucking amazing. Like a really great sprint, um really good match with Sonico this year. I mean. Again, when it comes down to with Dan too, is it's he may not have these amazing match of the year matches, but he's his performances are phenomenal. But again, this year he actually does have the match of the year level matches, so it's it's a toss up. It's not having he doesn't have as many phenomenal matches this year as he did last year, but he's got I think he actually has higher highs this year, and then he's got the Scenic City Invitational. I think you could you know say that as his his weekend performance crown jewel. He wins the thing. Um, you know, unfortunately with the injury and how things go in the main event it's a little bit of a bummer because i think that the match would have been better but the storyline stuff was pretty cool to see him go through that um and that's like this really big time august was a huge month for him this year he wins scenic city invitational he beats the wxw champion in ambition um he beats bobby gunn submits him in the middle of the ring then loses to thatcher and ambition in canada i mean pretty fucking awesome stuff there um for him in August. He also wrestled SEMA that year. Um, you know, or in August that month. Uh really cool match with Eric Stevens and without a cause. Um so yeah, I mean, gets to go to England, has some some awesome matches there. Um so like just really goes to Germany for WXW wildcard. Again, we talked about the Dominic Garini match being phenomenal. Um so yeah, it's just the fine I mean, I mean we like we kinda underrate the final there, you know. Yeah. Daniel Daniel Makabe versus A Kid is pretty good like yeah it gets overlooked and people talk about it like you know just because of the the spanish fly which i thought was actually worked in the setting i get why people think it's so bad because it's shoot style and why would you do a spanish fly but i thought it was done really seamlessly to where the only complaint that people could have about it is after the fact i don't think that in the moment it really felt egregious i think that you're just overthinking it um because you're like oh it shouldn't be like that but it, you can't fucking tell me that in the moment it didn't feel right when you're just watching it like i get being upset by it in retrospect but whatever um rematch with alex zane from what i thought was his best match last year um really good but not at the same quality but that's also because he had so much this year that like it's not going to be his best match of the year you know like even the tony deppin match in in um in scenic city like that could be his match of the year even with the thatcher and grisha match and the yay high match still so a lot of like he's a guy that I think last year probably a lot of people may think like oh you only have him so high because you're you know you're such a fucking mark for him and and you guys talk and all that whatever like all that that's fine this year I don't think you can say it's fucking crazy if you look at the the actual level of work that he has the the amount of stuff that's high quality that he has that's just like unequivocally high quality stuff that I don't think it's nuts to say you know to have him at this level 
to have, you know, him in the top 10. You had him in the top 10 also. Like, he had a fucking great year this year. Like, a lot of really, really good matches. So, so yeah, that's my that's my piece on Makabe. Where, where, again, where did you say you had him? I had him at 9. Okay. So, but with Dan, obviously, he's great, man. I, I, I really was worried. Like, the first few months, the first few months of the year... Felt like the Dan felt like Dan's year was it was kind of slow and everything, and he was just sort of like in the same pattern of he's so clearly he's so clearly the best guy in a lot of his matches that when is he going to have that thing that jumps off the page so I can you know really start seeing if I can get him on to, get uh, getting him onto any of these lists because just because he's a great he's a great wrestler I want to see him make it on, and you know you go you, you go from the Sky Henson and Alan Jepson, Eddie Van Glam all that stuff he's like okay that's good. Still waiting for it. I have. I actually give the Eddie Van Glam match four stars. I enjoyed. I enjoyed the hell out of that match. So, I'm still waiting for it. And then one match I come across is Daniel Makabe versus Judas Icarus from P from PWA on May fourth. And it's like, oh shit. Okay, now now I can now I can get that on there. That was a really fucking. That was a really fucking great match. That that's your that's your rematch. The third the third match in their in their series in three two one. The Gresham Dream match finally happens. And the ball and the ball starts rolling there. The Tony Deppin the Tony Deppin matches really in without a cause and an SCI. So the guy just started piling and piling on to the point where it's like, yeah, twenty eighteen wasn't a fluke for Daniel Makabe. It wasn't all the nerds on wrestling Twitter c- coming together and that this is the guy that we're gonna get behind. It's like no, Daniel Makabe really in this year I think solidified that he is that good. The thing that might have been the fear with some promotions on is the Daniel Makabe thing going to be sustained? Is he just some guy that the nerds are hyping up right now? And no, he proved that he is that good. And I think the fact that he got that stamp to go go work Mania Weekend, go work go work freelance, work without a cause, works works um what was was scheduled to works up, but obviously due to injury at SCI couldn't compete couldn't couldn't come um, couldn't do that. But working SCI. Getting to do, getting to do Germany, it's clear that Daniel Makabe has proven he belongs in that conversation of that upper echelon of in, of independent wrestling guys, and I'm just really happy about that. The guy is a phenomenal wrestler, and I think 2019 was the stamp. Like Daniel Makabe is here for real, and this isn't just people trying to force his way to the, but trying to force him to the top. He deserves every bit of this. Yeah, definitely. All right. All right. My number six, I don't believe you've said yet. I'm not know if you have them, but at six, I have Kenta Miyahara. Yeah, I said Miyahara at sixteen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always feel really bad not having Kento higher. I always want to see, want to try to get him higher than like that five to like five to seven, eight to nine range. But I, just, I can't just... I, I can never muster myself to pull the trigger on it. But... Another great year for Kento, man. You know, the four years we've been doing this, I'm pretty sure he's been top ten every single one. And... I think by this point... Uh, yeah, he's the only guy I can say I've had that high every single time we've done we've done this. You know, Zack Sabre Jr. dropped out. There was, a, there was years where... Well, Osprey wasn't this high for me. Thatcher in 2016 wasn't this high for me. Devil and the Star are new, are newer additions. Um, so he's the only guy that consistently has been this high for me. So going into the, I was thinking like, man, should I 
reward Kento for being the most consistent guy in the world probably over the last four years? Or do I just go with my gut and what I think of his actual year? And his actual year is great. It's more great Kento. The Kai match to start the year, the Suwama, the Suwama title defense, I think is swept under the rug, but that is a awesome match that I'm going to have super highly on my on my match of the year stuff where Kento sells his ass off in that the the first Naoya Nomura match that is going to be in my that's going to be in my top five for matches of the year him being so clearly the best guy in the champions carnival from start to finish from um from Atsushi Aoki to Yume Oagi to to Zeus to Shuji Shikawa to Gianni to Gianni Valletta Dylan James Yuji Akabayashi he gave you excellent performances every single time i don't like the yoshitatsu matches some other all japans might have liked but it's probably the best possible yoshitatsu match that you're gonna that you're gonna find with him being in a in a, in a wrestling ring for almost 30 minutes uh another another title match was another title match was zeus getting to wrestle no anymore a second time and still having just as like just as good of a tight of a title match with them the Jake the Jake Lee final at Champions Carnival, really good. Going into Royal Road and the match with Jiro with Jiro is kind kind of underrated. I was thinking maybe people that watch All Japan might have gotten more in, more into it, but I didn't see more hype around it. Another Jake Lee match, another Jake Lee title match, and both of those are good. Not saying they're the great matches, but those are both very solid. And then ending the year off in in the in the real world real world tag team league and. Him and Yume Oagi are have one of the probably the best tag match I saw in all Japan this year, going up going up against Jake Lee and Oya Nomura. So consistently all year, it's Kento being the best guy in the company, being the ace. And I really wanted to reward that this year. I just couldn't pull the trigger on it. I think eventually, like all Japan and a valid problem with all Japan and all of Puro, if you wanted to do this, is that is so old and stale right now as far as Kento and his possible matchups. They ran the they ran him versus Jake Lee three different times this year. They ran him versus Noya Nomura twice. He had a whole series with Zeus, with Zeus last year. Shuji Ishikawa was his first real mountain to climb, so they're just they're just re, 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 retreading on that. And his most fresh possible challenger that he could have gotten in 2019, which would have been Yuji Okabayashi, they meet each other in the Champions Carnival, and instead of maybe getting a title match out of that, you you, you just have Kento win and move on. And I thought maybe 2019 would have gotten a more prolonged Kento versus Yuji Kobayashi program. That didn't wind up happening, so we just got a lot of the same matches and same title matches done and o- done over and over again. Kento versus Suwama has done plenty of times in the past. So I'm not... Really, penal- I'm not penalizing Kento for that. Obviously, that's not his fault that the roster is kind of shallow. But when I look at these other guys that I have above him, it's hard for me to justify it just because it's Kento being the same guy that he's been for the last four years, and that's great. That's a top ten. That's a top ten level guy in the world. But I can't have him any higher than where I have him at six. Yeah, that was six for you. Yeah. Okay. Huh. For some reason, I think I got mixed up. Maybe I don't know. Either way, um, yeah. I mean, phenomenal year, and and the points that you're making are are perfectly on. It's like 
he's so good he's so consistent and he's so quality but it's repetitive it's a lot of i mean you know puro also you get a lot of tag team matches that are just whatever although he is also having great tag team matches as well um him and him and, him and yuma yawagi is is a really good team yeah it's like they actually have matches that are worthwhile watching so that's that's something that's a feather in his cap as like a, a top puro ace as well because a lot of them don't really do that they're like tag team stuff is just complete throwaway his is not um a lot of times he actually puts a lot of effort into it um yeah i mean the only person who really has good matches with jake lee at this point repeatedly to the point where like you get excited thinking that jake lee's finally going to turn the corner and then he doesn't um the stuff with namora obviously phenomenal uh we, i think we talked about one of the matches on the podcast really enjoyed that just had a phenomenal had a really another great year a lot of great performances and just solid stuff from him that like continuing the same way um so yeah, the only, the only thing that's left, the only thing that's left for him to do was like for me have a five star match. Right. If like for my for my personal taste, I haven't given him five yet. He's gotten close in the last two years. I get I went four and three quarters on the October Kento versus Zeus match of twenty eighteen, and I went four and three quarters on the March Noya Nomura match from from this year. So the only thing left for Kento to do was have a match that I go the full five on. But other than that, he's done literally everything you could ask ask a guy to do, being the top guy in the company. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, huh? Why do I feel? I feel like we're off for some reason because I feel like you started it, and I Daniel Makabe was my six, and you just gave your six. Oh, okay. I me- yeah, I me- okay. Yeah, I messed up. So that was yeah, that was my five. That was your five. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. So we got a little bit mixed up. So my five is um, pack, which you just said a little bit ago. Yeah, I had pack at eight. At eight. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, talked about it when I was talking about his performance in, um, in the match with, uh, was it with Omega or Hangman? doesn't matter. It could have been either one. could have been either of the Hangman matches. It could have been either of the Omega matches. It could have been any of his matches, really, because the point that I made at the time and the point that popped into my head and really made me think about it, about where I needed to place him because he was a guy that could have been a lot lower again you know like my rubric this year changed a lot in that like because there's so many people with a really great like basis of like quantity of matches of high-end matches I was like fuck it like someone like Pac can be in the top 10 situation top five um based on being what I said on the podcast a flawless performer in every single performance he is perfect, not just in the crispness and the execution of his moves, which he is, but in the execution of his character, in the reactions, in the way what he gets from the crowd. And I think that this year, a lot of people who are really smart online and really, you know, get paid to talk about wrestling were annoyed and pissed off at how many bullshit finishes he had and why is why are they making such a big deal about protecting the Dragon Gate title? But it was like it worked in both ways, like in in the in the sense that like. It you know you protect your champion in Japanese wrestling you don't do that to your champion it made him a bigger star that he never was losing but also like the fact that people who are smart to the business and not marks for titles and they get it and they know that this is being booked that way like they started to take Pac more seriously because he was like oh you know this guy is not going to just take losses wherever and not let himself be presented as anything more than a top level star so like it worked in both ways and making him feel like a star but then also to me 
a lot of the matches that maybe had the fuck finishes or the the draws and the so I still enjoyed them. I really liked the David or the Zack Saber Jr. match. I really did like the David Starr match. I liked the the Osprey match a lot. I liked the Walter match a lot. Like I didn't fucking mind that we weren't getting finishes on these stuff. And I, maybe that's a little bit just old school thing of me. I watched a lot of that old WWF house show kind of stuff, old fucking all Japan stuff. Like I don't really mind that much about like that we're getting these non finish matches to like build up to stuff because people don't want to lose. Like whatever, that's fine. That's old school wrestling, man. We don't we don't have to always get finishes all the time. Like it gets repetitive and it gets boring. But if there's one guy that you know you're just never gonna get a finish with, you can kind of just be like, that's what it is. Especially when he delivers in the quality that he does. Like his matches are are really fucking good. Uh, the match with with LP in, um, in the cockpit show was fucking great and like one of LP's best matches of the year easily. Um, great match with Paul Robinson in the cockpit. Like, yeah, I mean. Every match, his he is the perfect fucking Pac. I I really wish that I could get a chance to see the uh, Michael Oku match that just happened in Rev Pro, um, but I did not get a chance to see it yet. Obviously, I don't even think it's up yet. Probably, um, but the match with Cara Noir and Riptard, obviously, Rip Tide, obviously, was really really popular, and people were like losing their minds about it. People calling that match of the year and making Cara Noir someone that people care about, which was kind of funny because at that point I had already been like saying in a few, you know, in a little bit he's going to be the breakout star of of European wrestling. Unfortunately, European wrestling is dead, so it doesn't matter if you're the breakout star there. Whatever. Um, great match with uh, Matt Seidel in RPW. Great match. I really like the Mike Bailey match in in OTT, and then everything in AEW. Obviously, I think we reviewed a lot of his matches in AEW already on the podcast, so people know how I feel about that. But I mean, fuck, I don't think he's had a bad match. I really don't think you could say I mean, that Pack has I had mean, a bad match. And then go to Dragon Gate. Yeah. Like go to. Him versus Casey, like a pot, like a possible match of the year for a lot of people. Him being incredible in the Shun Skywalker match. He's incredible in the Dragon Kid match. In when then the crown jewel of it really is him and him and Kobe, him at Kobe World facing Benkei. And Benkei that we've been very honest about that he is still not a great worker yet and still isn't going to give you a great match yet as far as being a singles guy in a long in a in a prolonged match. Pack has one of the best performances of the year in that match. Yes, and that like that really just drives home the point that you're making here is that if you're gonna argue anyone had like a perfect batting average for a year, other than like Timothy Thatcher, the guy that you're looking at, the looking at there is Pack because that's almost like that's that's as close to batting a thousand that you're gonna get in a wrestling year. Right. Yeah, no. I mean, every every time his performances were pretty much perfect. One of the most flawless performers in all of wrestling, um, this in this year. So yeah, yeah. That's my uh, my dissertation on Pack there. And that was your number five. Yeah, it's my five. All right. Um, my number four is Will Osprey. I had Osprey at seven. So. Some people might call Will Ospreay's 2019 the best year a wrestler's ever had. <laughs> I would completely disagree with that. Yeah, especially because he's not your I, number one. So there's obviously people you think who had a better year yeah. than him this year. But yeah, but even that, I think it's like, and I get it. We talked about it before. We talked about it, but I think because Osprey's doing it in New Japan in a company where someone being given the like the opportunity to go out there and just do whatever, like, just have these insane matches. For literally the entire calendar year, and what like regardless of your feelings on Osprey, that's just what he did this year. From New Japan Cup, Best of the Super Juniors, G One, Super J Cup, 
the um the the tag the tag the tag team stuff the tag team tournament that he was in he did he gave you literally everything that someone could give you in in New Japan in a calendar year and a lot of people are, will always argue against the New Japan guys well how can someone how can these guys be getting on match of the year list when their entire resumes are based off of a thirty month stretch in August. And it's always it's valid. That's a like a, that's a valid case that people have always made against a guy against a guy like Ishii, but Osprey's the guy really that kind of shuts that whole thing down. Where you can't argue that he only did this and this, and that he only did this in August and had one match in April before this. No, this was every single every single tournament, every big show. This guy showed up and was delivering. Wrestle Kingdom against Kota Ibushi, the never the never title match there was was great going in going into new going into new japan cup and the okada the okada stuff was great i really like the lance archer match going go to madison square garden him versus jeff cobb i think flew under flew under the radar as one of the best as one of the best matches of the year best of the super juniors don't have to talk about that the dude was you know arguably having four star matches every night on that tour and I've I watched I watched I watched the majority of that tournament. I watched every single Will Ospreay match that happened on that tour, and I can honestly say that that's not hyperbole. Having watched them and having seen people people's reactions, if you're saying that, you know the Yohei Yohei Kamatsu, Red Narita, Doki, uh, uh, Doki Bandito, it, Rocky Romero, El Fantasmo, and and those matches are all Robbie Eagles. And saying those matches are all four stars or better, I can't argue with you. I think that those are, that's all valid. And then obviously you get to the crown jewel of that being the Shingo Takagi Best of Super Juniors final. You go into G1, arguably the best guy in G1 from Tanahashi, Okada, Ibushi, Kenta, the Zack Zach match, another Archer match. The only kind of stinker there, I guess, being Fale, but that's still but that's still fine. People, a lot of people liking him versus Evil, and him first, and him versus Sonata wasn't as bad as it could have been. <laughs> there's a like, no, there's a there's an argument for Ospreys being a, being the best guy in the G1, and he busts his ass for a Super J Cup tour that nobody watched. You know, he goes out there and he's he's, he's having thirty minute matches with Amazing Red and Sho Tanaka and all that shit, and busting his ass when he doesn't have to be, and doing getting the birds of prey stuff off the ground, really helping Robbie Eagles take off in New Japan and doing the tag stuff against El Fantasmo and Ishimori. And for a, for a guy wrestling his entire year in New Japan, I'm sorry, but that, that's unheard of. No one ever gets to do that. And then you get to add on the fact that he did, he does have stuff outside of that. He does have the pay, does have the pack match in Rev Pro. He does, he does have the uh, TLC matching as Aussie Open and in, pro, in progress. He does, he does have the Kyle Fletcher match at Fight Club Pro. And if you, your mileage may vary here, but he does have the a the a kid match from trip from Triple W. So I mean five star match. That, yeah, like the, you know that 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 is stuff that could take the guy over the top there. So I don't I don't think this is the best year wrestlers had the best in ring year wrestlers had. I think you just you just really love Will Osprey if you think if you think that. But what you can't deny is that Will Osprey had a sort of unheard of year for a guy wrestling in New Japan. And I think that is something that is worth talking about 
And I think Will Ospreay is a great wrestler. Some people just won't have Ospreay on their list or have him high because they don't like Ospreay. They don't like his wrestling. They don't like his selling. Whatever else about him. That's that's cool. I think Ospreay is a great wrestler. I think he had an insane output this year and it, and it got him to four. But I don't think it's the best year wrestlers ever had. Yeah. I mean, I don't like Ospreay because he's too handsome and has too big of a dick. Um, he's just a real piece of shit. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, both Swords of Essex matches, honestly, the CCK match as well was great. Like, so the couple of times yeah, he shows was. up in progress, he's great. Um, the few matches he has in Fight Club Pro are really good. The, the Fletcher match was pretty good. Like, the the pa- he did, yeah the Dan, the Dan Maloney match Dan Maloney match did, did do a lot for Dan Maloney. Yeah, the um I even really liked that tag match with uh, him and Scotty Davis versus the Besties. I remember at the time saying how it felt like a like a real cool like dream team with Osprey and Davis uh, as a tag team there. So yeah, and and you know like the stuff that I talked about with Shingo. I mean, the only issue with with the Shingo case being so pure and how great it was was that he had Osprey right there with him the whole time doing all the same shit and, and also a little bit more going outside of new Japan a lot more with a lot of great stuff. And then, you know, going over the top in, in some places as well, having better matches. So it was like, damn Shingo, like still kind of getting slightly out, out shine, but you know, they did have that fucking phenomenal matchup at the, uh, the best of the super juniors final. That was just like, you know, insane. Um, so yeah. And I think that that's going to end up on a lot of people's lists for match of the year for sure. Just with how good that was. So the guy had a great year. Yeah. Saying like greatest year of all time. Uh, I don't know. Probably not. Definitely not for me. Cause he's not my number one wrestler of the year. So I can't really say that. Um, so yeah, just had a great year. That was, was that four for you? Yeah, that was four. All right. So my number four, I think you already said, and when you were talking about, uh, Kento Miyahara always being top 10 for you. I was kind of thinking about it, and I think this guy has always been in the top 10 for me, and that's uh, Jonathan Gresham. Yeah, and I had Gresham down at 7. Yeah, so, I mean, perennial top 10 guy for me. Um, this year, really just coming to, into his own in, in different ways. Uh, I mentioned it after seeing him live, um, PWG, that, like, he looked to packed on pounds and just came across, like, like a fucking big beefy badass too on top of everything else so it was kind of like god damn like he's he's still adding to his his game at this point um but uh you know again talked about you know being a a flawless worker with Pac. like same kind of deal with gresham like flawless every match i think you you get something great out of gresham for the most part um maybe not you know, always perfect in every tag team kind of setting. Sometimes he can disappear a little bit, but uh, still when he's in there, especially at singles matches. But, I mean, the tag team stuff with Lethal has been really fucking good. Like, he's coming to his own. Historically, he's a good tag team wrestler, not the best tag team wrestler. I think that you had some issues with CCK last year, feeling like the the, the Gresham CCK team was being a little bit too much, of, like aping the, um, the Lycos CCK tag team, correct? Like, that was kind of your issue. Yeah. Um, so like I could definitely see that this year um, I think that the tag team with lethal has really kind of has its own defined kind of uh, vibe that really works their their uh, their um, their dynamic with each other is pretty cool so coming into that as well so it's yeah it's like he's really kind of becoming multifaceted in a lot more ways uh, the match with David Starr at PWG was phenomenal um, match with Colby Carino and GCW really good um, yeah I mean the guy just has a ton of great matches Masashi Takeda match at Bloodsport I think a lot of people could have that in their match of the year conversation I 
I could be talked into it, honestly. A match that I really fucking loved, still really love, I think may have been... I don't know if it was my favorite match on that show even, though. So, so, so to say it could end up being my match of the year, I don't know. Um, but it was fantastic. Um, you know, like I said, just continues to have great work in ROH. The only real reason to pay attention to ROH, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, world title match with Jeff Cobb and PWG that was phenomenal as well. Um... Best of the Super Juniors, really good showing in Best of the Super Juniors this year, um, you know, but it was kind of tough with so many other insane kind of performances happening at the same time during the tournament that he got a little bit overshadowed with his style being a little bit more toned down, but some of the matches where he got to really sink his, you know, his teeth in the matches, he was had some really phenomenal performances, you know, I, I really, really loved the match with Teton. Um, I thought that the Marty Scroll match was great. Like I was like I'm really impressed with that. Um, obviously, the match with Ishimori was really good, and the match with Takagi was was phenomenal as well. So it was like oh, and the show match was really good too, actually. So he had a lot of really good matches in in the Best of the Super Juniors. I think it gets overshadowed by just how much insane shit was happening during the Best of the Super Juniors this year. Unfortunately, he's not going to be the you know the top guy. Um, Shows up in progress with a really fun match with Eddie Kingston where they just kind of beat the hell out of each other and, and Gresham is trying to uh, to basically, you know, ha- have some kind of chance to, to keep up with the much bigger man. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I mean, phenomenal year. Uh, PWG Bola this year. I mean, he was great the whole way through Bola. So, I mean, you know, very amazing wrestler like i said perennially a top 10 wrestler for me and then now he's kind of starting this little feud with with alex shelley they've had two great matches already um so hopefully they continue that going a little bit further on in roh but uh but yeah he's just really coming to his own he's obviously getting to focus on his in-ring a little bit more um not just like his grappling but everything because he's training and getting to spend more time actually in ring basically because of because of being like a full-time uh instructor for ROH and running the school and then plus wrestling and everything else. So he's just getting better and better. Honestly, I mean, really master of the craft kind of term that they like to use in ROH for him really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. With Gresham, just like another guy that's just a model of consistency Begin beginning of the year, still beginning of the year is still great. He has, he's doing that stuff teaming with teaming with lethal in the first half, first match versus lifeblood of Haskins and, Hot sauce, I do really enjoy. I'll be honest, I didn't really, en- I didn't really like the thirty-minute Iron Man match that they did that they did later on, but it's still, but it's still a very, but it's still a very good match. I like it. I enjoy his best of the Super Juniors run. We go to Bloodsport, the match versus Masashi Takeda, just fucking batshit, insane, insane stuff there. David Starr versus Jonathan Gresham from PW from BWG two hundred. The, the, the Jeff Cobb match that you mentioned, the, I believe the Robbie Eagles match was was this year too, right? Uh oh, fuck, I can't remember. It might have been this year, might have been last year. But if it was this year, that match fucking ruled. Oh yeah, it was this year. We talked about it with Eagles. That match fucking ruled. Uh, you know, Gresham versus Artemis Spencer. You know, our you know case that Jonathan Gresham might have been the low key MVP of PWG this year. We go we go back in the ROH and the first shell the first Shelly match I really love the second one is a little as you know isn't as good but it's still a awesome match now the, the kicker for me was i actually really like gresham versus lethal from death before dishonor and that is actually my second favorite gresham versus lethal match 
which was a, which was a big which was a big thing for me. I think that was sort of getting um, lost. Obviously, with Ring of Honor, Ring of Honor being in a terrible spot right now. But when I went ahead and watched that, I still really, I still really like, I still really like that match. Daniel Makabe versus Jonathan Gresham, one of the smartest matches you'll see all year, and just routinely, we say what we say with Gresham. You put him anywhere, and he's gonna give you a good match. Silas Young, Eddie Kingston, in it's always gonna be good. It's always gonna be entertaining. He's always gonna make something at least worth watching. Go to his WXW weekend, and I thought he did as well with the comp- with the competition that he had going up against Lucky Kid and Flamita that he could that he could have. Obviously, Flamita is better than Lucky Kid, but you know that Flamita match was a great sprint. He did he did try to work. He did try his best with Lucky Kid and the Timothy Thatcher match from. The Tag Festival weekend is awesome. The Jay Briscoe match from London is actually really solid. So, it's just Gresham is just a model of consistency there. The CCK match from WrestleMania weekend with him and Chris Brooks coming up against Clark Connors and Carl Fredericks was Loki one of my was Loki one of my favorite matches of the weekend. In Deppin versus Gresham, I think we neither of us neither of us mentioned there. But he was a guy that was really primed to have a big WrestleMania weekend. I think still had a, had a really good one. The Orange Cassidy match from IWTV Family Reunion was super good. But I think missing out on that Masato Yoshino match, I think was sort of was sort of, was sort of a sort of a killer for him because I I just can't imagine how good him versus Yoshino would have been. But yeah, man, Gresham is just as good as ever, still being one of the best wrestlers in the world. The lethal stuff is off to, is off to a good start as far as their heel stuff, and the only thing that I can say here is that it's a shame that we didn't get to see Gresham, Gresham versus Virus make tape. That's the only that's the big glaring spot here, because other than that, all of Gresham's stuff is out, is there, and it's all really good. Yeah. All right, so we're moving on to the top three. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm. I'm ready for it. Let's do this. All right, my number three is Jordan Devlin. God damn it! I got him a little bit later. <laughs> my number three, right. I think you already said Timothy Thatcher. You know, I had Thatcher at six. I, I think I confused my Thatcher and Kento placements, but yeah, I Thatcher okay, at six. Okay, yeah. So, what is there to say about Thatcher at this point? We, me, and you have made our podcasting bones together talking about Timothy Thatcher. Basically, I mean, how can we continue on with this? But 2019 could be Thatcher's best year, honestly, as a wrestler. Um, did he have the most matches he's ever had? No, but that's what you get with Timothy Thatcher. It's it's quality over quantity, 100%. You know, the thing is, is his performances, and really for me, what makes his year, his crown jewel of the year, was winning the WXW title. I mean, the match where he wins the title against, uh, against Bobby Guns, obviously very good um phenomenal match really uh like miracle worker level stuff with someone like bobby guns who's not bad but he's bobby guns you know he's especially in 2019 um he's a guy that i've liked i've been really into at times but he's just not quite there but then defending the title over the weekend not you know not defending but having the title over the weekend and and in the ambition and he's the champion and he goes up against in in the super fight against lorkin um going up against uh Jonathan Gresham, like you mentioned, fucking 
phenomenal match for me. And then I talked about it when we were reviewing Tetsujin being the unified champion in Tetsujin. Fucking amazing. Like, it's just something about him having that title and being in these places really was, again, like just this amazing crowning achievement for him. The, uh, the unified title match against David Starr, um, just really, really made his year, like getting to finally have the run with the big belt and, and, be having that aura i mean obviously again like i said what am i going to do i'm going to go through every one of david Star or every one of timothy thatcher's matches here and tell you that they were great they were every one of his fucking matches was great every single match that i saw from thatcher this year was fantastic even shit where he's tagging with lucky kid in in schadenfreude in fight club pro he's great you know like you can't say that it, it, there's anything wrong like the, the most consistent wrestler the most amazing wrestler everything he does he's perfect at even he can wrestle someone like you know like those federalized junior and have a great match like he's just he's so good at wrestling he's just amazing like goddamn i'm just seeing he wrestled sean spears in apw i wish i could see that just to see what thatcher can do with someone like sean spears who basically sucks um you know like he's so good he's got the hideki suzuki match at Bloodsport, which was definitely yeah. my favorite match of the show it's fucking phenomenal yeah. Great match with KTB, Chris Dickinson and beyond, Davy Boy Smith Jr. match in MLW, like the Makabe match we already mentioned, but fuck, like I think two great, two great Yuki Ishikawa matches, two of them <laughs> <laughs> doing it twice. Yeah, um, the great match with Eddie Kingston and beyond, like I, I want to. Did, did you see Paul, the Paul Robinson knockout submission match? That sounds like that's probably great. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, yeah, what what can I say about Thatcher? Like, like I said, me and you have talked about Thatcher endlessly. Uh, yeah, so it's like, like, you know, what is there to say there? I mean, like, even getting to see some dream matches sort of get crossed off. Obviously, Yuki Shikawa being the big one there, but shit, Tom Lawler and Loki in the same in the same year in the same year for him. I think you could even throw Eddie Kingston in, into that conversation as sort of a Thatcher like dream Thatcher dream match opponent and. Every time he knocked it out of the park, Hideki Suzuki, obviously. So, what does they have to say about Thatcher <sighs> other than, you know, he is one of the best wrestlers of the decade, one of the best wrestlers ever, and he just keeps going and keeps getting better. He has a match with Cassius Ono that I had that me and you haven't gotten to see yet, but it's probably you knows Cassius Ono with Timothy Thatcher. Just knowing their history, there's no way that isn't a good match, and Thatcher is a guaranteed good match, no matter where he is, no matter. Where he is all over the world, England, Germany, the West, the West Coast of the United States, the East Coast. He is one of the best wrestlers in the world and continue and continues to be so. So yeah, like what else? What else is it to say? Yeah, like I said, we've we've talked Thatcher to death. We don't. I don't think that there's much that we can continue saying. Now, Quentin, I think I've realized what your number two is, and this is fucking crazy. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean my my number two is Jay White. Okay, I had Jay White at number nine, and I think me and you both love Jay White, obviously. But number two wrestler of the year, I gotta hear this. Jay White's the best heel in the world, and to be perfectly honest, if Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada at Madison Square Garden is better, or at least in my eyes, if I like that match more, he might be my number one. Because I go through Jay White's year in. Shit, man, he was great, literally all year. The Okada match from Wrestle Kingdom. Jay White doesn't get enough credit for this, but 
the him being the really the like obviously Kenny Omega beating Okada is the impetus for like Okada changing his character and all that stuff. But Jay White being who he is and getting so much heat and making you know getting Gato to turn on Okada and all that stuff and making Okada the most over and popular he's ever been. Jay White doesn't get enough credit for that. So Wrestle Kingdom, he has a super hot match with Okada. Great match, super abrupt finish, puts Jay White over huge. Going to February, the Otanahashi match, mileage may vary. I liked it. I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was a I thought it was a very solid match. And we go to the anniversary we go to the anniversary show and I recently just watched this match, but Jay White versus Will Ospreay from the New Japan anniversary show. If that was an IWGP title match, that might be this. That might be the second best IWGP title match of the year. It's that good. It's that great. Jay's performance in it is that good. And this this is Osprey's second time in a row, or just second time in general. I mean, eventing these New Japan anniversary shows, and even more than the Okada than that Okada versus Osprey match. Here was Osprey really feeling like he belongs in that heavyweight picture and Jay White's control and dominance was just so was so was so good there. Obviously the obviously the blemish for me is the um is the Okada match. And I think just pers- his personality just didn't show up. He is a much more charismatic and um just talkative, emotive person in his matches and I feel like that's what his heel work has thrived off of his facial expressions and everything and I feel like he sort of left that at home when he did when he did Madison Square Garden and sort of just went straight into a traditional New Japan style main event and I didn't and just for me it didn't it didn't capture me but then obviously Best of the Super Genius Tour is going around is, is going on and he turns in a fantastic match with Hiroshi Tanahashi on that best of the super juniors final show. And now we're going in now we're going into G one. Anyone with common sense knows that Jay White is gonna be a guy that's in play for the for all this block stuff. From for me from beginning to end, Jay White from the from Hiroki Goto to Shingo to Moxley to Juice Robinson to uh God, every everybody, man. I thought like the only the ma- matches that I think, just like the only matches I think that didn't really land for me were like Tai Chi and Jeff Cobb, and I, he might have my favorite Jeff Cobb match of of the G One. The guy consistently was giving me stuff that I thought was legitimately great with every with everyone in his block, pretty much, other than Naito. And that first Naito match is it a disappointment? Yeah, but. There's a such thing as guys not ha- not knocking it out of the park in their first go around together, and I think that was certainly the case because you go into the you go to the destruction in a kind of title match between Naito and Jay White, and that's a great match, way better than what they do in the G1. So all that stuff about Jay White being a choker and Jay White not delivering in his biggest spots, okay, go ahead watch him versus Naito, and all that gets completely flipped on his head. In the crown jewel here being Jay White versus Kota Ibushi, which is my number two match of the year. I gave it five stars. And Jay White in that is one of my favorite performances that I've seen from a wrestler all year. He is calculated. He's isolating on body parts. His body work is unique, mean, nasty, striking. 
His body language is great. The sort of condescending nature of how he's attacking Ibushi while also having a sense of urgency to him. His selling is really great. That's a point that we made all the time during the G1, that Jay White is a great seller, even as a heel. It's not like stooge selling. But the thing about Jay White is that Jay White isn't the tough guy. Jay White isn't the guy that's going to stand there and do the strike exchanges with the tough guys because they, Jay White isn't tough. Jay White's calculated, he's smart, he's sniveling, and sometimes he's a chicken shit. So the best spot of the year is Kota Ibushi sort of kicking kicking Jay White around, and Jay White bows up like he's about to get up and have this strike exchange with Kota Ibushi, and Ibushi just slaps him down, showing you that, that Jay White is not on that level. If you watch Ishii versus Jay White, what, what is it? It's Ishii beating the ever-living shit out of Jay White, and Jay White can't really muster the same strength of these forearms back, and Jay White goes flying after every single Ishii forearm. He understands his character better than, better than anybody. He, he executes it better than anybody. He gives you the great matches to back it. If you don't like the interference, fine. Whatever. That's your mileage. That's how you feel about it. I can't make you like the interference spots. But for me, it doesn't detract enough from his matches to make me think that Jay White didn't deliver in the ring. Because every single time I felt like it, the interference was done, mostly in a way where it doesn't take, take, take away from it. It was brief. It was a tide. It was a tide switcher, but it never was a, anything that took away from the matches for me. And you know, when when you're the best heel in wrestling, when you have the second best match of the year, when you're maybe the best guy working a body part in wrestling currently, because I mean, shit. What like what like what else is a competition right now? He's the he was the one guy doing it consistently all year. I don't know what else you want him to do. And the only thing that's keeping him from having been in my consideration for number one legitimately is I just wish I liked that Madison Square Garden match more. But other than that, I loved every single thing that Jay White did. And I think that he really stepped up in 2019. I didn't come up here in 2019 thinking, oh yeah, I can't wait to have Jay White super high. I ended 2018 enjoying Jay White, but it wasn't like, oh yeah, man, I can't wait to just go ahead with this Jay White narrative. Jay White had to win me over. Jay White had to keep going out there and delivering and delivering and delivering until it got to a point where I'm like, holy shit, Jay White is great. Not just good, Jay White is great. And I had to get sold on that just like everybody else. And maybe I like Jay White more than a lot of people do, but Jay White sold me, man. He sold me on everything that he is getting made out to be, everything that people say he is, the things that New Japan wants him to be. Is he going to be the biggest star in the company? Who knows? But I feel like you're being dishonest with yourself if you look at Jay White's resume and you're genuinely saying that, eh, nah, the guy isn't a good enough wrestler. Bullshit. The guy proved that time, month in and month out with everybody. And, you know, up, up, only thing he has left to do now is go out there and have a really good Wrestle Kingdom main event or just a really classic IWGP title match. Because other than that, he's given you everything else you could ask for. Yeah. Great stories. Great build up to his matches, great promos, great storytelling, great individual matches. He's given you everything that you could ask for from a wrestler. And other than the guy I have above him, there's no one giving you that the way Jay White is. So I may look like the crazy guy having Jay White as my number two, but I genuinely believe it. No, I can't. I I can't argue with anything you said there. And obviously, I'm a big fan of Jay White too. We've talked about him ad nauseum. Both of us love. Jay White this year, and I was a huge fan of Young Boy Jay White. I liked him flying around the ring. I liked him when I saw him in PWG, when I saw him in ROH, and he was just this clean, kind of clean cut baby face. Like, 
this guy's really cool, really good at what he's doing. And when he comes in with this heel thing, I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see, you know. And then he becomes the – he's the straw that stirs the drink. You talked about it, but being the the, the real it factor, the igniting kind of caustic element that created the biggest storyline in the company with with Okada, basically um, – He's, he's literally the reason why Okada and Tanahashi join forces. Even in canon, he is the reason why these, like, de- generational, you know, defining rivals of the 2010s of this huge boom period of, of New Japan have now put their differences aside and we're teaming together. Right, exactly. He's the, mo- he's the real integral factor of the entire company, and he's completely... F- making it at the role he doesn't feel out of place you people can say whatever they want but like i said i really liked him a lot when he was the young boy and he, i thought he was a great wrestler then and then this character came in and it was like oh shaky and oh is he gonna be able to pull this off is he good at this and almost people almost forgot just how good he was and then you see it throughout the year is every match he's in there with people that everyone unequivocally accepts as the best in the world in this amazing new japan roster that everyone loves so much and he's there every step of the way in every match and he's not just having fucking bangers and wrestling but he's like you said telling stories having psychology uh working body parts it, it's a pain you are you are happy to see jay white lose yes more than anybody in wrestling in 2019 he understood how to make you happy to see him lose whether it was okada beating him at madison square garden and the roof blowing off the place whether it was kota Bushi at the g1 final and everyone just losing their losing their shit when when Abushi beats him, or any like whatever comes up twenty twenty, you're gonna see the exact same thing when someone beats Jay White. The crowd is gonna lose their shit for it, and that's because Jay White more no one else has that right now. Right? No, I mean it's a hundred percent true, and I think people want to overlook it because it was a little bit shaky or whatever fucking reason they want to overlook it because he he because like you said, there's some interference. I mean, it's all part of wrestling. This is how wrestling works. Wrestling involves other things. Like it's not just you know, in ring, pure, whatever, like gimmicks and interference. And all of this is the whole fucking point of wrestling. And Jay white is delivering in all those aspects perfectly. So, Hey, I can't argue with you. So my number two, I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, but my number two is David star. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My David star is my number one. Okay. Okay. So I guess, I guess we'll talk about him now. Cause we would go to your number one next, but uh, I guess I could just give away my number one then. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah like your number one is. I no. mean, I think it's pretty obvious. I've already kind of talked about it, but my number one this year was Jordan Devlin. Um, what? So I, I gotta ask, uh, when when did that change? Because up, even up until a couple of weeks ago, David Starr was still your number one. So well, I mean, they what was the, they were neck and neck for a long time. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I, yeah, I knew they were like interchanging. I knew like the races between those two guys, but it always sounded like just talking to you that David Starr was the guy that was still getting ahead. So what what was the change? Well, it's fucking amazing about this, and I just have to call myself out even. Like, it feels like this has to be the most epic troll job of all time. I start out this, this list by saying I'm not going to put a NXT person <laughs> on the list. And my number one is, you know, some fucking guy from NXT UK, right? But... From a fake from a fake TV from show. From a fake TV show, basically. So that's why he's okay, because the show doesn't actually count. But I mean he has been on regular NXT, right? Um You know what it is? It's historically, I mean, being 
a champion is is a big deal to me and he's the best champion in wrestling i i don't think that there's anybody else who I, we talked about it but in ott the entire company the entire country feels like it revolves around him when he's in that ring and he's representing ott as their world champion and that's not something that just everyone can do and he really captures like i said the spirit of the entire organization and like i said the entire it feels like the entire country is on his back and when he's wrestling outside of ott and they're still announcing him as the irish ace it feels real it's not just a gimmick and it is i mean it is like you know he's definitely proud to be irish but it's a gimmick but you, I buy into it completely. I completely see this guy is the pride and joy of this country. He brings Ireland with him everywhere he goes, and he is the champion for the, the entire island, like the entire country. So that means a lot to me. It always has historically, and this year it it was kind of the deciding factor. David Starr is phenomenal. David Starr had a lot of great matches. My match of the year is David Starr versus Jordan Devlin, and I couldn't tell you who I think is the better performer in the match, so that's not necessarily even what gives him the edge, but there's that. There is there is the NXT UK stuff. He's the only fucking thing worth watching on NXT UK until Chris Hero shows up, basically. Like, there's nothing else that you should even be paying attention to in the goddamn company. Even fucking Pete Dunne, who I you know loved for whatever, like for years, I thought he was great, and then he fucking stinks out the joint there. But Jordan Devlin is the fucking man. And he can wrestle everybody, basically. And he, we talked about it. We just talked about it. We just went off about Jordan Devlin during the Tetsujin show. He's maybe the most talented in-ring wrestler in the world. He can, he can fly with the best of them. He can strike with the best of them. He can grapple with the best of them. He can do it all. And without a doubt, he could, again, he could do the emotional storytelling with the best of them. He can be the the fighting champion, the top ace. He's now maybe goes into the heel ace role. Like, fuck, this guy can do everything. Like, is there a single thing that Jordan Devlin can't do? So yeah, that was, that was it. That was the deciding factor. Like, <laughs> it's, it is, Again, it was not intentional. I'm not trying to troll. I wasn't like saying, oh, I'm not going to have an NXT person and then have the, my top person be an NXT person, technically. Because I don't see Jordan Devlin as an NXT person. Even though he's really good in NXT UK, to me, Jordan Devlin is still OTT. He's still the Irish ace. And that's really like what made him. So, so yeah, that was, that was kind of my Jordan Devlin thing. But uh, I think everyone's here to hear us talk about David Starr, right? He's the guy for 2019. Yeah, David Starr. He's the first time I felt like the best wrestler in the world, as far as like probably an in-ring basis, at least arguably, was also maybe the best promo in the world. And this, he's the first guy that I think has really like bridged those gaps since CM Punk during during his WWE title run and you forget how slowly that role is missed in wrestling when you go so long and sometimes you know as you know the us as Americans so when these you know Jap the Japanese performers are really ranked really highly on our list we can't really go to the promos for what they're doing or what they're or like what they're conveying because we don't know the language and we could read we could read the promos and all that stuff and look at the look at the translations but it's not going to hit the same as hearing someone in your native language do these things so david star has 
the promo after he loses to Walter at 16 karat in how distraught he is, how upset he is going at, go storming the English commentary booth. And it's one of the most uncomfortable things that you'll hear all year in wrestling, just because of how upset and flustered he was to the point you thought this man was a danger to himself and other people. And he does it again against Lucky Kid and WXW when the crowd turns on him and he cuts a promo and on the WXW America shows and again it gets to sort of like uncomfortable dangerous volatile, volatile energy that David Starr's frustrations are just mounting and mounting and mounting to a point where it feels like this thing could go like left at any moment and I've never been the promo guy on this show I think a lot of the time it's been you that's been talking about like, like promo and all that stuff. And usually I try to like I try to like keep it out of it. Not that it doesn't matter, but I usually try to do this stuff is mostly in ring based. But David Starr blends it so seamlessly. Eventually that becomes him doing the We the Independent stuff and closing so many shows talking about the beauty of independent re- independent wrestling and whether he meant more about independent wrestling as in like, you know, just that scene where he meant independent contractors getting contracts is up to interpretation. But that started bleeding more into the promos and what David Starr, David Starr's stuff became, became about. David Starr was the king of Europe this year from the Walter, from the Walter matches we get to pretty much the entire OTT run. The guy, the guy is absolutely the king of Europe OTT stuff, he was knocking out of the park every single month. The two De- the two Devlin matches in OTT, the Terry Thatcher match, Scotty Davis, Callum Black, uh, Mike Bailey, the the Walter match we get at WrestleRama, the guy delivered every single time at OTT. It got absurd at this point. Like it, he was he was really just averaging a four star match every time he was in OTT. Progress. He was the only good thing about progress this year. The only good thing. Whether that was him and Jordan whether that was him and Jordan in the Super Strong Super Strong Style 16 finals, or David Starr versus Artemis Spencer, or David Starr and OJMO versus Shigahiro Irie and Walter, whether it was even like the Walt even before Eddie Dennis comes in, the David Starr versus Walter match at um at Alley Pally is a pretty damn good match because it's still David Starr and Walter. And you get David Starr versus OGMO, a match that I don't love, but it's still an instrumental match for Progress's year because it's David Starr helping push this guy along that's gonna need gonna need to be one of the next guys in this young rising generation of aspiring British wrestlers. And he was the only thing that Progress had going for them this year, unless you want to throw in like Paul Robinson or like The Swords uh, of Essex had a, two good sword, matches. Like, yeah, the Swords of, Essex, Swords of Essex were gone. Aussie Open didn't really get to be the same. Grizzle Young Vets are stale. So David Starr was the one thing that felt like Progress could hang their hat on. And even then, they don't really go they don't really go all the way with them. Beyond, the dude still coming coming back to the US Indies. And the Chris Statlander match, the Mercedes Martin the Mercedes Martinez match, and just Fantastic, just fantastic stuff there. Tony Deppin and GCW. I actually just watched the Layla, Layla Hirsch match before we recorded this, but David Starr's Layla Hirsch from Uncharted Territory is, re- is really great. And the one blemish he has, 
admittedly, is the Summer Sizzler Osprey match. And really, if you want to be fair about it, more than anything, that's not on those guys for like what for the overbooking in that match. That match getting so overbooked and uh, involving other shit that didn't need to be involved in it, that isn't on them because the actual work in that match is is pretty good, which you expect from maybe the two best wrestlers in the world, and they deliver what you would expect them to, which just gets muddy because of the need to involve Andy Q and belt stopping and all that shit in a match that didn't need that. And obviously great match after great match, but David Starr being sort of the, I guess calling him sort of the, uh, sort of the US, a US Europe version of Jay White kind of applies here. Jay White was thought of as the, like, you know, the straw that serves the drink in New Japan. And that's really what David Starr was in OTT. Becoming, he was the bridge into, you know, the Jordan and Walter conflict. And then once Jordan beats Walter, they shake hands and all that stuff is bygones. But David Starr is still there feuding with both of them. David Starr is still there being involved and sort of keeping these guys being intertwined. And now this turns into David Starr maybe being the best feud worker of the year, having the best feud of the year. Whether it is this, you know, sort of the triangle that you think the Walter, David Starr, and Devlin stuff is, or just straight up Devlin versus Starr. And it turn it starts off with Starr being the this like despicable hated heel and ends with Starr being this kind of valiant val like valiant hero that the that the OTT crowd rallies behind even though he's still very clearly a dick and I don't love I don't love the way it turned out but it's just just the power that David Starr has cultivated right now and the see the CM Punk comparison is apt because what other guy in the last few years has been that sort of just like cult of personality that just through sheer like promos and videos and all that stuff he turned the crowd on Jordan Devlin yes you can point to the fact that David Starr was finally about to beat Walter and that Jordan Devlin interfered in it or that David Starr stepped on the, uh, stepped on the NXT UK title at the moment that turned in babyface quote unquote but really it's just through the power of promos and video segments that eventually people started siding with David Starr and it went from this thing where David Starr is this despicable shitty best friend because he couldn't stand to see his best friend be successful in a way that he couldn't be which is which was vanquishing Walter into David Starr turning the entire company on Jordan Devlin. And that speaks to the power that David Starr had. And more than anything, more than the great matches, more than being probably the best guy in Europe this year, I think what speaks to me is that David Starr just sort of took the entire wrestling world by storm almost just by talking. And it has, no one's, it's been a long time since someone's done that. Nearly 10 years. And... I think we forgot the power of someone being able to promo and promo and promo and promote themselves and do videos and all that stuff and do all the right things to push yourself along in wrestling while also backing it up in the ring. And David Starr, more than anyone since CM Punk, he's a guy that really did that. And for that, he's my number one. Yeah. I mean, everything you say there is correct. The guy had a phenomenal year, obviously. I have him as my number two. I've had him number two, two years in a row. The perennial kind of uh, bridesmaid for me so far. And 
hey, you know what? 2020 might be his year. And wouldn't it be apt? Wouldn't it be perfect if the, the year that Bernie Sanders gets elected president is the year that David Starr gets my number <laughs> one? Um, but yeah, I mean, everything you said there is spot on. His in-ring wrestling has been fantastic. Um, but, you know, not this is not like an argument against David Starr. I think he's great. But David Starr is very good at a lot of things. But I think, again, comparing him mechanically to Devlin, I mean, Devlin is phenomenal at everything, everything. And David is very good at kind of wrestling his style and he can do some high flying stuff. But when he does that kind of stuff, it always comes across to me a little bit clunky and he really should just not even be doing it. Like he'll do, he'll do. Oh, I completely, for, I completely forgot to mention mentioning David Starr's Beyond stuff. That oh yeah, he had a sixty minute match with Joey Janela. That was yes, fucking excellent. And that's something that he does that maybe Devlin doesn't do. Hasn't shown us as much as violent brawls and 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 even like deathmatch adjacent. We will not get into deathmatch talk. Um, deathmatch adjacent um, kind of stuff. You don't really ever see that from Devlin, but but Star is able to do that. But I I guess I would say like when it comes to entering wrestling. Devlin gets the edge because he's just that much better at, at a wider range of stuff. But when you talk about the promos and the character and everything else that David does, it, it is it is up there and it is intriguing the way that he has taken the entire world by storm. And he feels like the talk of the town when it comes to wrestling. And, and it's great that he's using that platform of, of being such a high-profile person to be doing all of this rallying stuff. And it actually almost even makes him feel like he's even more important, that he's focusing on other things and he's focusing on trying to make wrestling better overall. And Yeah, I mean, he's had a phenomenal year. Two years in a row where um, maybe... There's, I, there's, there's, there's other stuff. <laughs> Just like going by and looking at my match of the year tracker, uh, the absolute Andy match from early on in the year for the WXW title, really, really good. He had a good match with Flip Gordon. That you know, you know that like, yeah, that like it's legitimately a, a very good match with Flip Gordon. Um, you know, even like even his performance in the Sean Guinness match. That's the thing a lot with these David Starr matches is that it's like the Sammy Callahan title match from AAW. It's not a great match, but every time, but you know, you watch it and it's a great David Starr performance. David Starr versus Sean Guinness is a very good David Starr performance. David Starr versus Flip Gordon, a very good David Starr performance. And that was a big. I think that was that was a big thing for me when it came to when it came to voting for Star. Is that yeah, he has all the great matches on the tracker, but more than anybody, I think I remember his performances this year individually. Even when that match didn't wind up making it onto 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 my tracker, and I think that's a big indicator of how memorable someone's year is. That even when the match isn't great, I just walk away like, God damn, you're so good. Yeah, he's he is phenomenal, and that's the thing is is catching your attention, catching everyone's attention, keeping it, and leaving you with something memorable. Um, like I like I said, like he had nothing but great performances, and being able to kind of take over, wrestle everywhere. He's I mean surprisingly huge case for volume. He's got so many fantastic matches and just so many good matches in general all over the place and then also the the promos and everything else so david star uh phenomenal year obviously um yeah so uh yeah quentin uh relatively painless this year and i can't believe part three under two hours what the fuck yeah man i think i think we're really i think we're getting really good at this i think we're learning to not talk in circles so much i think that was really part of like why those early times we were doing the countdown shows 
we that might have gone three three hours sometimes. I think we talked in circles a lot, but I think we're getting more manageable, and I think we're giving up on a lot of stuff. Like, imagine us going on another twenty minute Thatcher rant this year, or another. Um, imagine us having another <laughs> Devlin rant after we just after we just after we just went on the Devlin rant last week. Right. So I think I think we're getting I think we're getting better controlling ourselves because I think like impulsively we just get real mad thinking about how some of these guys could possibly be underrated yeah and i appreciate you giving us both credit for that when i know it's me a lot of times i feel like i just re- would repeat shit that you had already said and this year i think i did a good job of just being like you know what quentin you already said what i'm thinking you already said what i'm gonna say so i'm gonna let it go but i oh no, i'm totally terrible at that like i'll go i'll go back and listen to some of our old ones sometimes just to like you know prepare for it and see like what i can do better and i'll go back to like feeling like i did way too much talking about Kazuchika Okada in a point that I could have made like in five minutes and then it turns into a 20 minute second, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So it's like, I think, I think we both got, I think we both got a lot better at that. I think now really doing a weekly show, trying to sit there and muster up the same, uh, passion, like passion that we built up over the year to talk about like Daniel, Mock- Daniel Makabe or something. It's not going to hit the same because we come on and talk, come on every week and talk about how good Daniel Makabe is, or talk about how good Kanosuke Takashi yeah, is. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I, I, I think I think honestly, that's like you know, that turns into shorter shows, but it does help us a lot. Yeah, it definitely does, and I think people probably appreciate the shorter shows. I mean, fuck, this is still you're still getting about six hours of content here, everybody. So, it's not that short, but it's definitely shorter than it has been in the past. Um, and yeah, so uh, no episode next week. Enjoy your holidays, everyone. Christmas, family, friends, everything. I mean, that's uh, that's the plan right now. I don't know, Quentin. You could change your mind and do something next week if you want. But no, no, totally. You you guys will just listen to this and leave me the fuck yes. alone next week. Next week is <laughs> um, Christmas. Enjoy Christmas. But Timothy, as always, thank you for doing this with me. This is always one of my favorite things to do during during my year. I was in the top fifty with you, the top one hundred with Brock. It, really is one of my favorite ways to express how like what like what i enjoyed in wrestling and even if even if it's a year like 2019 where admittedly everyone is like yeah this year kind of sucked or this year was kind of weak going through and doing this does make me think like oh man maybe maybe this year wasn't as bad as we as we as we as we think it is and obviously it's not great but being being able to come on here and talk about your favorite stuff or what you thought was the best stuff does make things that seem bleak feel like feel a little bit better so thank you timothy for continuing to do this yeah thank you and maybe just maybe the best wrestler of 2019 was the friends we made along the way i would have to agree with that one timothy thank you everyone that listened there's a finale for the top 50 wrestlers of 2019 me and brock will be back in january doing the top 100 matches of the year thank you all for listening hope you're next time Bouncing off things and you don't know how you fall Your power is 